Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you here today. Good to be at the Journey Church. And uh, I'm going to be talking to you today about breaking bad habits. And I was thinking, what would these kind people in Hamden, Maine, like to hear today about bad habits? And I thought, you'd probably like to hear about bad habits that my son has. And so I, I thought I'd start with that. Let me tell you about uh, one. He was, he was a pretty good kid, you know, growing up and everything. But he had one bad habit, like a lot of teenagers have. And he really didn't like to listen to his parents' advice, and his parents always gave him great advice, but sometimes he didn't like to listen. So when he's about 18 years old, uh, we had a mission trip. I was a pastor at a Baptist church in Milo, Maine, and uh, we invited a couple other churches. Uh, uh, we invited the youth group from Columbia Street Baptist Church in Bangor, Maine, and another Baptist church in Old Town, and uh, we had about 60 people going on the mission trip, which is a lot of people. And so we had different projects going on for the kids. We had a lot of adults working with us as well. And 60 people is too many people to all work on the same project. So we were you know, going to Mexico, and, and our missionary out there advised us to break them up into groups of six or seven. And so we had monthly training meetings for about six months. And after two or three months, we decided it was, it was time to break them into teams. And so we had to break them into six or seven teams. My wife and I got together and discussed what the teams would be. And there, there was this new girl that was in the group that came with somebody else that had invited her. And we didn't know her very well, but we were getting to know her pretty well over those two or three months. And we thought she'd be a good match for Chris. And her name was Amy Swanberg. You might know her as Amy Madden, so they eventually got married. But we, we, we put them together in the same group intentionally because we thought she would be a good match for Chris. And in fact, I was the leader of the group because there were things that you had to break them up into smaller groups with two or three people. And so they'd be, you know, fixing the lunches for the mission trip. And so I'd always make sure it was Amy and Chris together. I think we had three people fixing the lunches, so I'd be right there. And, and every day I had, to, you know, I was driving the van and would take them to the work site and and I would hear them get into all kinds of interesting and deep discussions, and they were just hitting it off really well. And we got back home, and you know, they still weren't dating or anything, and I'd, I, Chris would be calling her like almost every night, like at 9 o'clock at night. And as good parents do, sometimes I would kind of eavesdrop on the conversation, see what's going on here, because I'm concerned about my son. I want him to get with the right person. And, and I heard him talking to Amy, and he's saying, I'm thinking about asking this girl out. What do you think? And he's like, getting advice from Amy. And I'm thinking, what a stupid son I have. He, sh <laughs> he should be dating Amy. We set it all up. They're good friends and everything. And, and I don't know what kind of advice she was giving on the other end, but the next thing you know, he's dating this girl. And he goes out with her for a couple of weeks, and that doesn't work out. And then a few weeks later, I'm eavesdropping again. He's saying, I'm thinking about dating this girl. What do you think? And she gave him some advice, and, and he asked her out, and that girl said no, and uh, you know, things just still weren't good, and, and you know, you know, he, he started talking to me about it. He said, you know, I thought about dating this girl. It didn't work out. He said, why don't you date Amy? You know, and I told him, we, we fixed this for you. This is like a prearranged marriage for you, and, <laughs> and he just, just still didn't listen. Months and months passed by, and then eventually, I think it was like a year later or something, finally asked her out, and they lived happily ever after. And, and he just should have listened to me the first time. So it was a bad habit that he had. And so now that you know that story, you know I'm a person that gives good advice. And so I'm going to give you good advice today about breaking bad 
habits. And I really studied this quite a bit over the, the last few years, read several books. There were some habits I wanted to, to break, and so I want to share some of that to help you out. And, um, and, and thinking about habits, and, and particularly the goals that we want to achieve, we all tend to have very similar goals. In fact, I just finished a series on habits at, at our church in New Hampshire, and uh, we had a, a couple of small groups going that were just talking about habits. And we talked about how they can break some of the habits or start some of the new habits. And as we asked them what habits were most important to them, some of the same habits kept coming up again and again. Uh, there were people that just wanted to have a regular quiet time with God. Uh, about half the group wanted to lose weight. You know, there were just some common goals and common habits that they had. And so we all tend to have some very similar goals, but the fact is we have very different results. And some develop good habits, and some develop very bad habits. And I think we all have a little bit of both, right? We have some good habits, and we have some bad habits, but some are better at, you know, really going through with their good habits and avoiding the bad habits. And nobody ever plans to stress about money and to live paycheck to paycheck and have no savings and have no money left over to give and, and maybe even be thousands of dollars in debt. Nobody ever plans to do that. And nobody ever plans to be overweight and unhealthy and to die at an early age. And, and no one plans to have an addiction or to get, you know, let that addiction get out of control and because of that lose their marriage or to lose the trust of their children. And nobody plans to have a mediocre life with no passion and lots of wasted years and regrets. Nobody does those things. And people rarely end up in the wrong place because of just one bad choice. Occasionally, that might happen. Maybe that happened with you with one bad choice. But rarely does that happen that a person ends up in the wrong place just because of one bad choice. People end up in the wrong place one step at a time, one day at a time, and one bad habit at a time. But oftentimes, you could just summarize a whole person's life with one simple sentence. And so you could say things like, he battled with his weight, and then he died of a heart attack. Or you could say, she cheated on him, and their marriage ended in divorce. Or he didn't follow through with things at work, and so he lost his job. Or, or she had a gambling problem, and it just ruined her financially. And so it's very easy to summarize a season or a bad decision with just one simple sentence, but it's rarely because of one event. And it's pretty easy, actually, to find some characters in the Bible that you could kind of summarize their problem all in one sentence. And to me, one of the most uh, profound cases, most obvious cases you can find in Scripture is in Ju Judges 16, verse 1. In that verse, it summarizes what became a, a series of bad choices that Samson made. And I mean, if there was any guy in the, the Old Testament that was just born with incredible potential given to him by God, it was, it was Samson. And yet, because of one bad decision, in one wrong step, in one bad habit, one day at a time, he ended up in a life that completely fell apart. And so Judges 16, verse 1, is kind of a summary sentence that says one day Samson did something that ended up developing into a very bad habit. 
And here's what it says. Judges 16, verse 1. It says, one day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. And that one sentence just summarizes the beginning of a downward path for, for, the, life, for the whole life of this guy, Samson. And, it, and it's a guy who was incredibly gifted by God. But one day, Samson went down to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. Now, I want you to think about that. Think about this situation. Because Gaza is actually 25 miles from Samson's home, which was the town of Zorah. 25 miles away. And Gaza was kind of the Philistine headquarters where Samson was public enemy number one. And in order to go into Gaza, he was really putting his life at risk. And what we know about that time when Samson went down to, to Gaza uh, is that during, during that time when he left, there were no Uber drivers, no buses, no trains, no car that, that he could take. And so we, we could assume it was pretty likely that he actually walked that 25 miles into enemy territory to see a prostitute. And that's a long, long way to walk, to go to a place where you're, you're risking your life. Do you know how many steps it takes to go 25 miles? I mean, it, it would make a difference how long your steps are. It's going to vary. But for the average person, that would take about 56,000 steps. The picture of Samson traveling to Gaza, taking 56,000 steps. And, and he's going in a direction that would begin a life of just spiraling downward and out of control. And like most people, Samson did not ruin his life in just one moment of time. He did it one bad decision, one wrong step, one bad habit, and one day at a time. And that's why we're talking about how to break a bad habit today. We don't want that to happen to us. And so based on who you want to become, what one habit do you need to break? What one, happy, what, what one habit is unhealthy or maybe unhelpful or ungodly that's taken you in the wrong direction that ultimately you don't want to go in that direction? I like what James said about bad habits in James 1.21. He says, so get rid of everything evil in your lives. Every kind of wrong you do, just get rid of that. Every kind of wrong you do, get rid of it. And so what habit... Or what habits do you need to rid yourself of to become who God wants you to become? And we're going to talk about how to do that today. But before we talk about how, I want to talk about what. What is the one habit or habits that you need to break? And we need to acknowledge it. We need to define it. So what's your issue? And I love this little verse in James 3, verse 2. And he's talking about taming the tongue, which is pretty much impossible to do, he says. But he starts out, and he says, we all stumble in many ways. So the question is, how do you stumble? You know, we like to talk about other people and the issues that they have, right? We say, Joe has issues, or Sarah, oh, she's got issues. But what about your issues? And maybe you have a problem with a, a bad attitude. You're just kind of negative about everything. Or, or maybe you complain and you criticize a lot. Or maybe, maybe you have a gossiping tongue. I'm sure you don't 
do that here any from the church family here. What you do is you share prayer concerns with other people, right? You don't, you don't share gossip. You just say, oh, I'm so concerned about so-and-so because they got this issue. She has issues. You know, what can we do about so-and-so's problem? Or maybe it's an eating issue. Maybe you eat too much or you eat too much sugar or you have too many snacks or uh, it, it could be some kind of uh, technology addiction. Maybe you're addicted to video games, or maybe it's social media, or maybe it's just binge-watching on Netflix. You just waste your day away doing that, or, or maybe it's pornography, and, and you, you've tried to quit, and you promised you wouldn't do it again, but you still haven't really quit altogether. Or maybe it's your cell phone, and, and it's like you just, just can't be away from that thing. And if I were to say, hey, can I use your, your cell phone? I just want to use that for a couple of minutes, and it's like you just get all anxious about it, going a couple minutes without being into your cell phone. You just feel like you got to have it with you at all times. And so uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's a substance, and, and you're addicted to nicotine or an illegal substance, or maybe it's something simpler like caffeine, or, or maybe it's prescription medication that, that's legal, but you're getting addicted to it, and you're, you're starting to get in trouble with that. And so I don't know what your issue might be, but let's just talk for a moment about why it's so difficult to break a habit because that gives us some insight in how we can overcome it. Have you noticed that there, there's a huge difference be, between why a good habit is difficult to start and a bad habit is difficult to break? For example, a, a good habit, it's challenging at first, and then you have the payoff, which is somewhere in the future. So if you notice that takes a little while, it's hard to get into that habit, and then eventually you get into the habit and you're more comfortable, and then you got some kind of payoff. And so, for example, let's say you were to take up jogging, and so the alarm goes off in the morning, and, and first of all, it's early. You're getting up a half hour earlier just so you can get a little exercise in in the morning. And so you put your jogging clothes on, and then you go outside, and especially if you live in Maine, it's a little cold to go out jogging in the middle of February, and, and so it's difficult. And maybe you go out jogging and you, you jog for a mile and you did it. You jog for a whole mile and you feel good about yourself. And then you come back and you're just, just tired and you're achy. And the next day, it's worse. You're even more achy. And the next day, maybe still some more of the same. And, and you really haven't profited very much. It's just very difficult at first. And the, the payoff is somewhere in the future. You're not in shape now just because you ran one mile. That, that one day really didn't help you much, and it doesn't really even feel like it's worth it. And you might quit right then, or you might try a few more times, and you just don't see the progress quick enough. But then bad habits are just the opposite. And there's a perceived benefit immediately. And sometimes, I think if we're honest, it's, it's fun to sin, right? There's some kind of benefit. There's some kind of pleasure you, you get out of it. How many of you would agree that it's fun to sin? How many of you? Nobody's agreeing. That's because you're in church. You can't say it's fun to sin in church, right? But, but it is. And, and if you're saying that it isn't, you got two problems. One is that, that you're just not doing it right. And the other is you're just not being honest. It is fun to sin. There is some pleasure in sin or, or we wouldn't do it. There's a perceived benefit. But the negative result isn't until the future. That's why we get caught up in it. It, just, it sounds like fun or it's going to give us some kind of pleasure. And so that's how we get started. 
And the key to any habit is having a cue or a trigger. And so if you want to develop a good habit, you need to make it easy and you need to make it obvious. So let's say if you want to exercise first thing in the morning, well, a good idea might be to lay out your clothes so it's the first thing you see. And so that's already done for you. And so you put those clothes on and then you exercise. You just do it first thing. Or if, if you want to get up in the morning and you want to read the scriptures, wherever you want to read that, um, maybe it's on the kitchen table or you've got a desk or someplace where you're going to read the scriptures, you already got it open up to that page. You're going to start with Matthew 1 tomorrow until you open it up and you've got your pen there to mark it, whatever you're going to do to, to read the scriptures. And that helps you. It gives you a trigger to get into that good habit. But if you want to stop a bad habit, guess what you need to do? You need to do just the opposite. Not make it easy, but you need to make it difficult. You need to make it really, really hard to do the habit. Because unfortunately, we've only got so much willpower. I think we all have some willpower. The problem is we only have so much. And just like your energy depletes as you exert energy, the same thing happens to your willpower. And you know that because you can fight certain things off for a while, and then you just get tired of fighting it off. And I don't know what it might be for you, but maybe you're, uh, maybe you're trying to eat well. And so you go into work, and in the office, somebody brought your favorite kind of donuts to the office. And the first time, you walk by them, and you just got great confidence because you just had breakfast at 8 o'clock and it's only 9 o'clock now and, and you've got the power and you've got the victory in the name of the Lord Jesus and, and you remember what the scripture says. It says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength and you just walk right by those donuts and it's no problem. And not only is it no problem, but they don't even look good to you. And you feel sorry for people that eat donuts. That's your old way of life. You don't do that. And who would be dumb enough to eat unhealthy donuts like that? Only losers eat those donuts. And you watch some of the other staff people, and you just feel sorry for them. They're eating those donuts. And then, then you walk by them an hour later, second time, and you, you look at them, and you say, hmm, hmm. You know, you think about it a little bit more, and you, you just kind of say, I praise God that I'm going to avoid those donuts today. I'm a new person. I'm on a diet, and I'm going to stick to that. And then there's a third time you walk by, and, oh, they just look so fresh. And so you just decide you, you're going to touch one. And you, you touch it, and it's as fresh as it smells and, and looks, and you say, ah, oh, that's good. But you, you just wanted to see if it was good, and, and you thank God that you still have the willpower over the donut. But then there's a fourth time. A little bit later, you're kind of hungry, and it looks like there's, there's six of them still left. It's 11 o'clock, and somebody was so generous to buy a whole dozen. You don't, you don't want them to feel bad. There's going to be six there. But you're on a diet, so you say, well, it won't hurt. I'll, I'll just have a half a donut. And you have a, have a half a donut, and, you know, it's good. And then 10 minutes later, you think later, it's like, we're right in the middle of a pandemic. I can't be touching a donut and breaking it in half, and somebody else might eat that. And so you got to eat the second half, too, right? And then, and then you get thinking, it's like, boy, that was, was, was really good. And, and, and you know what you've done now? You have broken your donut virginity. You've ruined it. You're a failure. And so what do you do? The first donut tasted good, so you have a second. Maybe you even have a third. And I, I can remember, I actually, uh, I'm speaking from experience. Uh, I did this when I was working at Columbia Street Baptist Church. I was a youth pastor, and our associate pastor brought donuts in. And, and so, you know, at the, the end of the day, there were still three donuts left. And he said, Ernie, you've got a nice young family. Why, why don't you bring them home to your family? And I said, okay. 
I brought them back home, and the problem is I have four kids. I only had three donuts. And I got home really late that night, and the kids were already in bed. So guess who got the three donuts after having three during the day? And it's like six donuts. And what happened was they were all good. And, and, and that's what happens. I said sin. It's fun. There's a pleasure. And so you just keep doing You don't think about what the, the negative payoff that it's going to have. You keep doing that. And so, um, you know, we, we all have our, our, our different issues. And um, uh, I had one uh, just uh, last night. Um, you know, I, I um, was in Tennessee, and um, they got Krispy Kreme donuts there that are really good when they're hot, if you've ever had them down south. And uh, so I had some of those while I was in Tennessee. But when I got home, on January 11th, I started a diet, and I had had no sweets until last night. And I, I went out with uh, my family, you know, Chris and Amy and my grandkids. And uh, we went out to eat, and that's fine. We went out to eat. I didn't get a dessert or anything. And, and Chris said, Dad, you know, we were thinking about going to Sweet Frog, but um, I know you're on a diet and everything. I didn't know if you want to do that. And I was kind of torn. I was like, I don't want to be antisocial. And, you know, Sweet Frog is good. They got that good yogurt with the toppings and everything. I, so I couldn't decide. And I said, I can't decide. Well, why don't I let the grandchildren decide? So I asked Maya and Noah, what do you think? Should we go? And, and they said, yeah, 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 yeah. And so we went to Sweet, sweet Frog. And so now i got to kind of start all over again. No more sweets. And, um, but that's what happens. We get in tempting situations, get guided by the wrong influence. And, um, I, and I don't know what your issue is, but I know you have some. Because the scripture says we all stumble not in one way, but we all stumble in many ways. And so what we need to do is make it difficult to do the things that we, we want to do. And I love the way that Solomon phrased it in Proverbs. He says, don't do as the wicked do. And don't follow the path of evildoers. Don't even think about it. Don't go that way. Try, uh, he says, turn away and keep moving. So it's like Solomon is saying, if you didn't hear me the first time, let me tell you five different ways. So he says, don't do as the wicked do. That's one. Then he says, number two, and don't follow the path of evildoers. That's two. Then number three, don't even think about it. Number four, don't go that way. Number five, turn away and keep moving. He keeps telling us again and again in different ways. And research shows us again and again, every habit starts with a cue or a trigger. And so there's something that cues our minds to thinking, oh, this is what I want to do. And then that leads us to an action that's followed by the reward or the, the buzz or the fun or the pleasure or whatever you want to call it. And so how do we break the habit? Well, what we need to do is, is try to remove the trigger so that we can interrupt the action. And so whatever it is that triggers us in the wrong direction, we're going to try to remove the trigger and we're going to try to interrupt the action. So when it comes to triggers, we can be triggered into a bad habit or an unhelpful action by all sorts of different things. But studies show that there are really four major triggers that generally are going to lead us in the wrong direction. So we all need to watch out for four major triggers. And the four are place, time, mood, and people. And let's talk about the first two together, place and time. They just go hand in hand together. Because there's probably a place where you do your bad habit 
and you consistently do it at a similar time. And you probably don't do the habit at certain other places or certain other times. For example, you, you probably don't overeat at the gym. I, I go to the gym about five or six days a week. I've never seen anybody eat a donut after they work out. Uh, maybe they do when they get home or whatever, but they don't do it there. That's not the time or the place. Okay, you, I have never, ever, all my years, seen anybody smoke pot at church. I know a lot of church members that smoke pot, but they never do it at church. That's just not the time or the place. Now, you could um, go to a Super Bowl party, and you might overeat there. You might smoke pot. You might drink too much or whatever your issue is. Uh, but that's the place, and that's the time that you're, you're tempted to do those things. You, you probably don't watch pornography when you're with other people. But you might be tempted to do that late at night, maybe when you're mad at your spouse or you're, you're feeling lonely or, or maybe you're just bored and just not thinking. And there's probably a time and a place where you do whatever your habit is. And if you want to change your habit, you need to make sure that if a time or place triggers that behavior, then you've got to remove the trigger. In the Old Testament, uh, King David made a horrible mistake by being at the wrong place at the wrong time. And David wasn't a bad guy. The scripture says he was a man after God's own heart. And he genuinely loved God. And so you can genuinely love God. But if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, then you might find yourself doing something that you never really wanted to get involved in. So if you read the story of David, you know, he was the, the king of Israel who loved God, but he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then he ended up having her husband killed. And, and why did he do that? Well, I think he was at the wrong place at the wrong time. If you read the beginning of the story, it, it says that in the springtime when kings go off to war, so it was typical that the king would go off to war then. It says David stayed back at the palace. Why did he do that? We don't have all the details, but it might have had something to do with Bathsheba. And, and when he wasn't where he was supposed to be, he ended up at the wrong time going up to the rooftop, which happened to be his neighbor's bath time. We don't have all the details, but I suspect David knew that. And maybe he'd seen her before but didn't have a good view, so he decides to go up to the rooftop. And so he started checking it out, and he's at the wrong place at the wrong time. It led him to see something that he shouldn't have seen, which led him to do something that he shouldn't have done, which ended up costing him way more than he ever wanted to pay. And so if there's that consistent place and that consistent time where you find yourself vulnerable, you've got to remove the trigger. You've got to remove the, the temptation. Uh, another major trigger is, is moods, and, and I think you, you know that's true. Uh, you're, you're more vulnerable when you're in a certain mood, and experts say that when you're in a certain mood, what you need to do is halt. Uh, and HALT is an acronym for the, the moods that will make you the most vulnerable. So we're vulnerable, first of all, when we're hungry. When we're hungry, we're going to tend to get ourselves into more trouble. Uh, number two would be when we're angry. Or sometimes you put those together, they say you're hangry, right? Hunger and, um, and anger, not a good combination. Uh, then L stands for lonely, or I, I'd actually rather it be bored, but that doesn't fit with the with the acronym, but lonely or bored. Uh, so when you find something going on or uh, you feel 
under-challenged, or maybe you're feeling lonely, or you're feeling vulnerable. Uh, so it's just a, a feeling that you have. Or the last one is letter T, which stands for when you're tired. And you have less strength when you're tired. And so you need to halt. And when that happens, you've got to recognize the mood and remove the trigger and go do something else to get yourself out of danger. And so you've, you've got to learn to distance yourself from the time, the place, and the mood. And then the fourth trigger is just people. So the, the wrong people can be triggers that lead us in the wrong direction, just as the right people can be triggers to lead us in the right direction. In fact, studies show that the closer you are to someone, the more likely you are to have the same habits that they have. And there was one study where they actually tracked 12,000 people over the course of 32 years. I can't imagine anybody, you know, checking out 12,000 people over 32 years. A very in-depth study. I think they knew what they were talking about. And they found out that if you have one friend who is significantly overweight, there's a 57% more likely chance that you will be overweight as well. Then the study also showed, on the other hand, that the, the good news is if you have one friend that loses a significant amount of weight, one of the three closest friends to that person is also going to lose a significant amount of weight. And so the people that we hang out with often shape the habits that we have. And it doesn't take a study to prove that. Long before that, we had the words from King Solomon back in Proverbs 13, 20. He says, walk with the wise... And become wise. Just common sense. Walk with the wise and you'll become wise. Associate with fools and guess what? You're going to get yourself in trouble. Most of you could probably come up here and share a testimony about back when you were in high school. You hung around with these other clowns and you got drunk and you did this and you did that. And it's something to do with the people you hung around with at that time. And I've always been really thankful for the, the friends that I had growing up. Uh, most of them are either from my church or they're on my sports teams. And uh, I think my parents had an awful lot to do with, with who at least became my close friends. Not all my acquaintances, but my closer friends. And they just had a way of, of knowing a little bit about their character. If they had this character flaw that could get me in trouble, they, they had kind of a subtle way of letting me know. It's like, that might not be the best person for you to, to hang around with. And so I didn't really get in much trouble as a teenager. And in fact, didn't even really have much temptation. And just a little parent tip is probably the best parent tip I could give you because I did it with our kids and my parents did it with me. My parents were very hospitable. And we happened to have a big backyard. And so all the football games and all the baseball games were at our house. And my father put on our street not one hoop but two hoops so we could play full court basketball. And we just had the place to go for my friends. And so whenever I was with my friends, we were at my house. And my, parent, my mother especially, uh, she was a stay-at-home mom, and she was a good parent. And I think she did a lot of eavesdropping on those conversations. And she would warn me about, watch out for that David guy. He's got a foul mouth, and he's just got a bad attitude. And, you know, just kind of give some guidance on who to really put your time into. But they knew my friends, and I was there at the house. And my kids grew up and tried to do the same thing. We always tried to have lots of food around our house to, you know, be hospitable to their, their friends. And then when they're at your house, then you know who their friends are. And you know what they're saying. You know what they're doing. And it's a lot better if they're somewhere else where you just kind of lose complete control of that. 
Um, and so that's important for your kids are hanging out. But, but also for you, if you're an adult, uh, think about the flip side. If your closest friends are all unemployed and, and they're all addicted to video games or they're all addicted to overeating junk food and stuff all the time or every Friday night they want to party, imagine how difficult it would be for you to live a God-honoring life if that was the consistent input in your life. And that's why it's almost impossible to live the right life when you have the wrong friends. And it doesn't mean that we're not a light to people. Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. You're the, you're the light of the world. And so, you know, we got to have some influence on, on outsiders. So it doesn't mean that we're not friends with all sorts of people. But Paul said it very, very clearly in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, don't be fooled. Bad friends will ruin good habits. Bad friends will ruin good habits. Or you might know it from other translations. It says, bad company corrupts good character. He said, don't be fooled. You become like the people around you. I think that's a, a huge reason why it's very important for us to, to be involved in church. The people that we see on Sunday, we develop friendships with them, or you get involved in small groups, and it's good company. Good company will, will help good character. You don't want to be around you know, non-Christians all the time, and if you're, you're with people that have different values, that bad company will corrupt the good character. Uh, I can remember hanging around with some bad company when I was teaching at a Christian school. It's actually a very sheltered environment. We had um, uh, teachers that were working at that school, the administration, everybody. They were all dedicated Christians, and they were all very good and faithful church members. Most of them, if you knew those people in that staff, you'd say, oh, I like them. They're a good person. They're a godly person. But they were some of the most negative critical and judgmental people that I've just ever known in my life. And after working there for five, five and a half years, uh, they, they were definitely starting to rub off on me. And I'd find myself just always complaining about people, judging people. And they used to do that with the students all the time. They'd say, so-and-so did this, so-and-so did that. And I was starting to get like that, just complaining, seeing the negative in everybody. So I, I found a new job. I was in New Hampshire at the time, and then I found this job at uh, Columbia Street uh, Baptist Church in Bangor. I was a youth pastor there for a while. And I started hanging around with some positive, encouraging people. And that new environment just did wonders for me. I'm still thankful today for the, the new friends that I made in a new workplace, one of the best moves I ever made. And so if you're constantly going in the wrong direction, and the people around you are, are going the wrong direction, Maybe it's time to redefine your relationships and, and, and who you spend your time with. So if you want to break a bad habit, you've got to remove the triggers in order to interrupt the action. And here's the bottom line. If you forget everything else I, I tell you today, if you want to break a bad habit, here's the key. You make it difficult to do. Just like if you want a good habit, you lay, you lay your clothes out, you get your Bible all ready, or whatever your good habit is, you try to get a good positive trigger or cue. If you want to change a bad habit, make it very difficult to do. James 4, 7 says, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, there are numerous times in the New Testament that we're told to flee from temptation. And you got to think ahead, and you got to plan a strategy to flee from whatever it is that tempts you uh, to, to fall into those bad habits. And for some of you, 
If you're so deep into a habit that it's, it's become an addiction, then you might need to get some serious help. And it might be time for you to get some rehab. Uh, and it may be time for you to own up to it and to say, I'm not going to let something like that rule my life. And when you look at the direction that you're going, if that's not the direction that you want to go, then, then you're gonna do, you need to do something significant to stop it. And think about this. The habits that you have today are going to shape who you become tomorrow. And let that sink in. The habits that you have today, they are going to shape who you become tomorrow. And so do you like the direction that your habits are taking you? And if you're not sure, then what you need to do is just kind of play that forward, just kind of imagine the future. And so take that bad thing, that, that secret little thing in your life that you don't tell anybody about, whatever it is. And for some of you, if you play that forward 5, 10, 15, 20 years or, or whatever, uh, here's what you will say in the, the future. You will say, oh, I had no idea how much this was going to cost me. And you might even be saying that today, something that happened back in your teen years or in your 20s. Um, I, never knew, I never knew that I would lose so much. And I would give anything if I could go back in time and do something different and not get into that habit. I never expected to lose my family. I never expected to lose my house. I never expected to lose my name. I didn't do it all at once. But it was one small bad habit over time. And so based on who you want to become, wherever you are today, God gives us continual clean starts. Based on who you want to become, what habit or what habits are you going to break? In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you're tempted... He will show you a way out so that you can endure. And so he's saying there's always a way out. Sometimes we just feel helpless. Oh, I just have to do this. I mean, I, I know I didn't have to go to Sweet Frog last night. I could have said no and disappointed the grandchildren. You know, it was hard. Oh, I, what I really could have done is make the grandchildren happy and, and just not eat. That's probably what I should have done. But there's always a way out. And think about Samson. 56,000 steps in the wrong direction. So he's walking along. He's on his way to Gaza, and he takes 10 steps. He could have thought about, should I really do this or not? He could have turned around. He takes 100 steps, takes a couple hundred, thousands of steps. Even when he gets to 56,000 steps, he still could have turned around. He had many, many opportunities to say, this is not who I want to become. This isn't the life that I want. God created me for something more. And it all starts with small steps and small beginnings. In Zechariah 4.10, he said, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. So never want to underestimate how God can start something special through something very small. He says, Do not despise the small beginnings, for the Lord does what? The Lord rejoices in his children. And imagine this. Imagine your own child. You know, maybe they get the winning basket in a basketball game or they, get, they come home with a report card of straight A's. And uh, I can remember when my son did something special playing basketball. 
And it was on my birthday of all days. It was January 27th. And he was playing at my best friend's high school from uh, Orono, Maine. And I remember looking before, and my friend's picture was, I think they won some kind of championship back when he was in high school. And so I'm thinking about my friends, my birthday. And my son was playing for uh, Penquist Valley High School. And uh, they actually ended up winning the state championship, so they had a very good team. And uh, Chris was, uh, I think, 14 years old at the time. He's a sophomore. And um, he made the team, but they had 14 players. And guess who the 14th man was? It's my son, Chris. Okay, so he'd never played before. In fact, I was a little annoyed with the coach. They won a lot of games by 20, 30, 40 points. And there were some games he played 13 guys, and Chris never got to play. And I thought, well, Orono didn't have a very good team that year. And I thought, maybe Chris will get to play. So they're like in halfway through the third quarter, and they're ahead by 30-something points. And guess who the coach put in the game? He put in my son. And Chris gets into the game for the very first time ever in high school, and he did something incredible. He gets ready for the out-of-bounds play, and a guy from Orono pushed him. And so Chris got fouled. And, and you don't think that that's very important or very significant, but it was, okay? So Chris goes to the foul line, and he hits his free throw. He, and I was hoping he would hit the free throw because he did something that I've never heard of anybody doing in basketball before. Chris had one point, and he had not even played a second yet. His scoring average then was infinite, way better than Michael Jordan or anybody else. And I just... You know, I'm kind of an introvert. If I wasn't an introvert, I would have just shouted at the coach and said, take him out, take him out. He's got a perfect record. And then I think, he, I think he missed the next free throw, and he played a bunch of minutes. That might have been all the points that he got. But it's like, oh, I'm so proud of him. Now, on my birthday, he finally gets to play. He hits that shot. He had an infinite scoring average. And so that was pretty cool. But when our kids do things that we're, we're proud of, you know, we rejoice with them. And I think it's the same way. There's rejoicing in heaven. God sees us, do, he sees us being faithful in a small thing and, and developing, you know, these new small beginnings, these new habits. And when God says, you know, God basically says like, like we would as parents, you know, way to go. Well done, good and faithful servant. You are now on the right track. You've stopped going in the wrong direction. And now you're being conformed to the image of my will. And then when you start to do these small things, they're redefining your identity. And so when I'm eating right, I'm now a healthy follower of Jesus, and I'm honoring God. And when I'm exercising, I'm an athlete. I may not be a great athlete, but I'm exercising five, six days a, day, five, six days a week. And it's not what I do. It's, it's who I'm becoming. And when you wake up and you read your Bible, you are becoming a man or woman of God. And when you don't look at that lustful trash, you're being purified by Christ and your mind is being renewed. And you're a person of integrity. And it becomes your identity. And then one day, you wake up and you realize, because Jesus dwells within me, Christ in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. And so based on who you want to become, what habit or what habits do you need to start? Or what habit or habits do you need to stop? And then consider this, this final verse as we close today. It says in Galatians 6, 9, the Apostle Paul says, uh, So let's not get tired of doing what is good. And sometimes we do. 
I was thinking that last night. It's like I've gone over a month now without having any sweets. Let's not get tired of what's, what's good. And then at just the right time, he's got a harvest that he wants us to reap. We will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. Keep on following God's will. Seek after his will. And remember those small beginnings. God rejoices that. In that. The whole series I did on habits, it was just called Habits, uh, small, change, uh, small Steps, Big Changes. It starts with the small steps, and they accumulate, and you can do great things for God through that. Let me pray for you.